Well, good morning again, everybody. <coughs> it's good to be with you here today. Um, it's always funny to me how you go from week to week and you just, you can feel changes within the body, within the spirit, and, and how things are going. You know, so just to start off, I want you to just reflect on your week. How did your week go? How was your walk with the Lord? Did you have some ups and downs as normal? Did you have some times that you were rejoicing? Did you have some times of struggle? You know, as we're going through these series, this series about, you know, the gifts of the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, I'm hoping that you guys are a little bit more aware of the Spirit's leading in your life as you go out of these doors and into your work weeks and, and how you handle yourselves and conduct yourselves through the week. Um, you know, hopefully you're becoming more in tune with the Spirit and His guidance through those times. You know, my week was pretty typical. It had different ups and downs. It added in to yesterday afternoon I spent and did my taxes, so that's always, that's always a fun day. It's always fun to try to round all that kind of stuff up. You know, our, our weeks can be funny that way. Sometimes you can have some ups and downs. Sometimes you can have those times where you're just really depressed or you're really rejoicing. You know, different things will happen to us and how we respond in those situations. Hopefully, you know, your lives aren't just being derailed by one little thing anymore. You know, you think back to this week and, all right, did you, did you get angry? Did you lose your patience over a small thing? You know, sometimes big things happen in your weeks and how you respond to those, um, you know, kind of tell you a little bit about where you're at too. In my life, it's more so the big things that happen. I don't respond as drastically as the small things. It's those small things that build up where you go over the edge. You know, when you have times like that, my hope is that when we come to church, we can find a place of rest and encouragement, a place of fellowship with like-minded believers where we're praising God and being filled with His Spirit as we go out into our weeks. You know, and, and that in this time, this rest, this encouragement that we experience, sometimes it lasts till this afternoon when we get home. Sometimes it lasts through the week, and you can ride that time of praise for God. But as we come this morning, this morning I want us just to focus a little bit on that rest and relaxation. So I want to pray as we begin and pray this for our lives. So let's, let's begin here with some prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be able to come before you in solitude and silence. Lord, you know the types of weeks that we each had individually. You know the times that we faltered. You know the times that we obeyed. Lord, I pray for forgiveness in those areas that we need forgiveness. And I pray for the strength to repent in those areas in our lives where the enemy is winning. Lord, this morning I hope that we are able to come and experience your grace anew. 
that we could be reminded of the love that you have for us. And that we could put to ease the worries and the cares of this world. And relax for a little bit. Resting in your grace. Not being tormented by the things that surround us. But soaking up your lavish love. Father, we want to thank you for the grace that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for sending your spirit to be our guide, to be our helper, to be our comforter. And Lord, as we go to your word this morning, I pray that we can find that renewed sense of, of depth, of love, of passion and desire to know you more through your word. Lord, help us to understand what it is that you have written to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be diving in now to the more in-depth look at the gifts in Romans 12. So you, you can turn there. Um, we'll be in a deeper part of Scripture a little bit later in the, in the message time. Um, but we're going to skip over prophecy for right now. We're going to wait until we get to 1 Corinthians for that. There's a lot more meat and potatoes when we get to 1 Corinthians that I'll be referring to anyway. We'll probably spend a few weeks on that gift. So this morning we're going to be talking about serving. And as we begin, I want us to remember our context, the things that we've been building on, remembering how the gifts originate in the grace of God. Um, that means that they are freely bestowed according to his good pleasure, the pleasure of the giver who is the Holy Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. They are manifestations of the presence, the working, the activity of the Holy Spirit. And they are given as he determines, and he empowers their use for the common good. Again, both references to 1 Corinthians 12. Their purpose is to build up the church and to glorify God, Ephesians 4. But you know, I also want to acknowledge, as we're getting into the gifts, that how it's been more of a detriment to the church in how these quote-unquote discussions uh, over the spiritual gifts have resulted, and as one author put it, as I read this week, a Corinthian-like carnality in the church. To where we, we should be able to see the irony that the very instruments that are given to manifest, to encourage the unity of the body of Christ have separated the body of Christ, have created divisions within the body of Christ. And as I continue to pray through this series, that's why I think we're called to discuss it, so that we can have a healthy understanding of the gifts, to not just keep it under the rug, but bring it out into the light and examine what the Word says about these gifts. Now, I understand from this standpoint, when we say discussion, this isn't much of a discussion. It's more like a lecture because I'm giving a sermon. But I'm hopeful that through what we're talking about, through the different references that I give, that you're exploring this in your own faith, in your own life. And feel free to give me a call and, you know, bounce ideas off of one another as we continue to grow. Iron sharpens iron. 
You know, there is a combined understanding of the gifts based on all of the passages that we have from Paul and from Peter, um, things that Paul is trying to teach us, and then you also have the specific teaches, teachings to the individual churches, the different contexts within those churches that we want to focus on as well. Now, of course, we are focusing primarily on Paul's teaching. Peter just has that one mention in 1 Peter 4, and it just covers prophecy and uh, service. So nothing really new that is being added from Peter. In Romans, again, we want to realize who he's speaking to. Paul is not addressing how they are misusing the gifts. He's not addressing their abuses, but rather he's teaching on their primary purpose, how the people need to be using them for, as being a part of the body of Christ to build up the body, to glorify God. You know, we should incorporate into our understanding this clear teaching. You know, the Holy Spirit has gifted people. He has gifted us. He expects us to use our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, with this list in Romans, as you kind of look over that, um, verses, start in verse 6 through verse 8, you look over that list, and I think with this list, it will put to test our understanding between the natural and the supernatural. We talked about this a little bit last week. You know, you look at this list, many of the gifts are normal activities that people could just do in their own power. So what is the differences? You know, and I read different authors this past week on this subject of the natural and the supernatural, and to be honest, I'm no clearer in my understanding. Both sides make wonderful points to understand. Um, you know, I only mention the natural and the supernatural as a warning. You know, understanding how we understand the gifts dictates how we're reading Scripture. And if we're viewing the gifts as only being natural and we're taking the charis out of the charismata, the supernatural out of the gifts, then it can just be about us. So it's important for us to understand how natural and how supernatural can work together how God gets the glory, you know, that's the important question that we want to ask ourselves. Who's getting the glory? Is it ourselves or is it God? You know, what we gather in Scripture is the purpose and the use of the gifts goes back to giving Him glory, to be used and be, lived, be living in His grace. Now, the bottom line that Paul is expressing within this whole section is do what the Lord has gifted you to do. You know, sacrifice your own likes, your own dislikes, your preferences, your partisan positions and politics. Put all of that to the side for the sake of the one who has had mercy on you. Serve him. You know, everything that you should be doing is for the love of God and the building up of the church. And when you look at how our section is written, he's basically saying, hey, if you're called to serve, then serve. If you're called to teach, then teach right? It's very matter-of-fact. It's in-your-face, you know, and the implications then for us and what we do now, it seems, is we don't wait around for instructions. We don't wait around for this mysterious, grandiose uh, spirit encounter to tell us what to do. It goes back to that keeping in step with the spirit. So as we're walking with the spirit, we see the need within the body, and we're able to fill it as the spirit leads and calls us. So today, as I said, we're going to be skipping over prophecy, and we're going to be talking about service. And this is what it says there in verse 7. If service 
in our serving. Pretty short and sweet. So, this term, service, diokneia in the Greek, it has different meanings that we can draw from this to expand our understanding. So, I want to give us an all-around understanding kind of quick here, uh, looking at a few different scriptures. Um, this term can mean ministry in general. So, when you think of ministry, remember a couple weeks ago I had you define pastor. When you think of ministry, it can be wide open. You know, the scripture has a few different examples for us uh, with this same term of service attached or translated as ministry. The first one we've already kind of gone over is in Acts 6, verse 4, with the ministry of the word. And this is what it says. This is Peter. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The same service is there in the Greek. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it speaks of reconciliation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we can see with these two examples how we, we have a, a, a broader understanding of ministry or of service than maybe just something very narrow. It's a term that is, is used throughout the Bible in different ways. You know, you, when you think of service, it's also used in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, where Martha's complaining, tell Mary to come help me serve. The same word is being used here. Uh, Jesus picks up on this same meaning in Luke 22. In verse 27, he says, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So we can see uh, from those passages, it involves hospitality. So you think of service in that way. Um, also, when you see the term service, you might think servant. That term is doulos in the Greek. Uh, Paul uses this term quite often to describe his relationship to Jesus. I'm a servant of Christ. Um, it's not the same sense that's written here in our passage in Romans 12. So that wouldn't necessarily be in view. In the Greek, I think it has similarities to the root for another term called koinonia, which means fellowship. When you reflect on Paul's meaning then and what he is expressing in Romans 12, the service here in this passage probably deals with ministering to the material needs of the group, of those that are around them. And as Paul is talking about using these gifts within the context of the body, we can see, see how these ideals of fellowship por are portrayed. So this term, when we look at it, we want to have the understanding of ministering to one another, keeping it in line with the body context. Now, it's also probably not going to be an isolated event where you serve one time, nor is it going to be a lifetime full of ministry of service. But rather, it is as the Spirit is calling you to serve, then serve. You know, um, we also see with the term being diakonia, you can maybe also get the reference of deacon or deaconess, you know, that is, obviously they serve in different roles, 
But again, we don't see a strong push for the formal office within this passage. It's just more of that general call to the believers of the body to serve as they're being called to serve. So, kind of just a quick overview of the different meanings of this term or how it's being used in the New Testament. How does this term get lived out? You know, when we think, when I think about how this gift is lived out, um, I would say it's lived out quite well within this body. I think that there's a lot of people here that have servants' hearts where they see a need, they step in, and they just do it. I joke about this all the time in our budget meetings. That type of thing wrecks budgets as you plan for things, but it's good to see in terms of the heart of the people because they just see, oh, you need this? We'll go get it, and we'll just donate it. It's fine. You know, you, you see that heart within the church very well. Um, one of the things that I've seen some growth in within serving is the willingness to reach out to visitors by more than just the normal same people. So people that would step outside of their comfort zone and welcome visitors. You know, I've seen that happen more frequently in the last year and a half to where more than just the elders or more than just random, you know, leaders within the church would step up and welcome someone, showing hospitality and showing warmth, showing inviting. Um, I would say then working on and maintaining those relationships outside of those first two meetings is something that we can work on, something that we can grow in in terms of how to develop that fellowship with people. But, you know, as a pastor, um, you know, I sit at the back door after the service to catch those that, you know, want to get out of here right away. And it warms my heart as I see people fellowship, communicate. Um, For those people that leave early, it might be good for you to know. I don't know if, if it moves you at all. But normally, I leave about 1245, 1 o'clock. That's how long people stay to fellowship. You think about before the service and how many people are gathering around the coffee pot and standing out on the concrete talking. And I'm up here thinking, okay, when do I start? (laughs) Because you don't want to break that up because it's good. Because you're doing that fellowship. You're being hospitable to one another. Granted, sometimes Sundays are the only times you see each other. So maybe that needs to change in terms of how we're communicating during the weeks. But, and, you know, the story goes, everybody's busy, everybody's got things going on, and it's hard, and we we all understand that. But I got to tell you, from an outsider, well, just me being up here looking out, the fellowship is strong, and it's good. So we need more of that to encourage one another in our lives. You know, when I think of people that have a servant's heart, or just what it takes to have a servant's heart, to have this gift of service, I think that there are barriers as well that we need to overcome in this area. The first is responding to the call. You know, you see that term if in the passage. If it is service, then serve. You know, if you are being called to do this, if it is a prompting of the Spirit. Now, obviously, not everyone, so let's say that there's needs within the body. Obviously, not everyone steps in to fill those needs. 
Let me give you an example of this. So let's say I need somebody to do this, this, and this this week. That somebody that I said is very vague. It's general. It's an open invitation to whoever would like to step in, whoever the Spirit might be leading to fill in that role. It's vague on purpose. However, you could take it as, well, somebody will do that, whoever that somebody is, right? Even though that somebody could be you, but we might just assume that somebody will take care of that or God's calling somebody else to do that. So again, different barriers about uh, listening to that prompting of the Spirit. Now, of course, there can always be miscommunication on my part or leadership's part as well, and we try to fix that as we're made aware of those things. So, and obviously I could always do better in terms of just inviting individually, but I always like to try to open things up, you know, because um, Steve and I had a great talk last Sunday after the service just about gifts in general and the differences that people have. You know, when we're talking about the gift of serving, for instance, people serve in different ways, in different capacities, you know, Maybe guys would rather do a project. Girls may, might want to bake something. Maybe guys want to bake something. Maybe girls want to go out and do a project. Whatever might be more of our natural abilities or our leanings is something that we want to adhere to. And then you think about capabilities. You know, as I get older, I'm not as able to do some of the things that I used to do. And as you get into more of the senior saints, you're not able to do some of the things. So ministry and serving might change. To where you can't go out and help somebody put up a barn, but you can write a card, you can give somebody a phone call, you can encourage somebody through the week. So again, being open to how the scripture or how the spirit moves in your life and instructs you to serve the body, to build up the body, to encourage the body, can bring glory to the Father. You know, we can we we are all different in how we are are wired and how we are called to serve. But it just shows that it takes a village to run the church, right? The, the body motif, how it takes everyone working together. When I think, or also when I think it, when it comes to service, um, being open to the Spirit, how the Spirit is calling you into different roles or ministries is important as well. Being able to respond is that first barrier. Obeying is that second barrier. Obeying is very important. So to help in that area, I think that we need to have a biblical mindset and worldview, an understanding of how serving is viewed throughout all of the Bible. You know, we talked about some New Testament passages. I want to go to an Old Testament one with you. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. As I say... Joshua, when it comes to serving, maybe you're thinking of a quote dealing with him. A very famous one that many of us understand and know and maybe even have it up on our walls at home. But I want to understand a little bit of the context surrounding that one quote. So in Joshua 24, it is the end of the book, and Joshua's speaking to the people, to the tribes and their leaders, warning them about what just happened with the Exodus, telling them again why it happened. I want to pick up in Joshua 24, verse 14. 
Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's that last part that we always like to focus on, right? We don't realize that Joshua is giving them a choice. We don't realize all the things, all the baggage that's still a part of the Israelites' lives. And the interesting thing I find is how, how the people respond, right, in this next part. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, you read that, and, I mean, do you laugh a little bit? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We're on this side of the historical record. We, knows, we know what happens to the, to the Israelites and to the people. We know about this oath that they're making here that they can't keep it. They served other gods. So what's, why would they say this? You know, as, as, far, as for this generation as a whole, maybe they kept the oath for the most part. Because they witnessed God working. They, they, they had to wait in the desert for that last person of the old generation to die off. They watched how God conquered these lands. They experienced all these things of God. So maybe we can give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But the following generations, they didn't witness those things. They were told what happened, but they didn't witness anything. You know, and in my studies through this series, it's made me wonder, are the claims that we make just as laughable as what the Israelites make? Is ours a generation that has not witnessed what the Lord has done? Forgotten what the Lord has done? Idealized, intellectualized doctrines and theologies over spirit-filled relationship. Joshua calls them out for this phrase, beginning in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. 
for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. See, I read this section, I think it's, I think it's a wonderful passage about serving, serving the Lord in the Old Testament, what it was to be reflected as. And what stood out for me as I read through this was that even as they're making this oath, they still had foreign gods that they were told that they needed to put away, that they needed to get rid of. They claimed that they only wanted to serve the Lord because of all that he had done, but they still had foreign gods. They were still holding on to their past lives, to their past selves. You know, Christianity is an exclusive religion, right? That starts with the Jews. The Lord your God, O Israel, is one. It is exclusive. Jesus picked up on this exclusive nature of God as he taught his disciples in John 12. He said, beginning in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, serving Jesus is not about lip service. It's not about going through the motions. It's not going to church so you can feel comfortable. It's about following him. And following him, doing what he did as the teacher, as the master. He tells all those who follow him, to count the cost. Remember what the people said to Joshua. The Lord our God we will serve. We will obey his voice. Obedience is a definite thing in our life. And it's a barrier to the gifts. You know, I think when you think of Jesus' relationship with the disciples, it's a rabbi-disciple relationship and that's, it's a wonderful model. Um, it's a lifestyle where the disciples watch closely what the rabbi is doing. You know, the saying is, you want to follow so closely in his footsteps that the dust that he kicks up lands on your feet, where you're Im imitating, you're mimicking Jesus. Um, so you have to be a part of, of his life. You know, you think about this model of ministry, and personally, I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want somebody over my shoulder let alone 12 people over my shoulder 24-7 for a few years of my life watching my every move. I'm an introvert. That's going to freak me out. You know, you think about how he teaches them. You think about the intimacy and the level of closeness that Jesus has and wants with his followers so that they would serve in the ways that he is calling them to serve. You know, Jesus makes this point abundantly clear in John 13 with the Last Supper as he washes the disciples' feet and tells them to go and do likewise. Jesus also made it very clear, you cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I ask you today, whom will you serve? Are there foreign gods among you?
that need to be put away. Idols that you need to confess. I mean, we claim to serve God, but are we doing what He says? Or are we doing what we want? Who is it that we really serve? God or ourselves? You know, I think addressing this issue gets us in a position to be able to serve where we're dealing with those barriers in our life. You know, similar to the bridesmaids who had enough oil waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for the King to come. We don't know when we're going to be called to serve, but we are to be keeping in step with the Spirit so that we can understand those promptings when we see a need, we know that the Spirit's telling us to fill that need. If you're capable, if you're called to serve, serve. Well, we have to be all in with Jesus, where our heart cannot be devoted to something else, divided into something else within this world, where it's only Christ who is sitting on that throne. It is an exclusive faith. You know, when we approach this gift, I think that there should be a high expectation on our parts, a very high expectation that we are called to serve. The capacity, the when, that's kind of what's up in the air, again, to how the Spirit is going to be guiding, how the Spirit will prompt. We need to be able to respond to that. We need to be able to obey to that, not with pickiness or complaining and grumbling, but saying, yes, Lord. Here I am, send me. I mean, what a joy it is to be able to serve the Lord as he calls you into different forms of ministry. What a joy it is to be in the middle of his will, right where we want to be, instead of outside of it. But again, I believe that's why our walk with the Spirit is so vital. Because then we will know what he is asking of us. We will see those areas, we could be more aware of our surroundings as we're keeping in step with Him. In this busy world, our time can be taken away from us before we realize what's going on, before we're spending time with Him in our daily devotions, before we're finding that rest with Him, we're already flustered by the things of this world, run ragged by the different demands that are pulling for our time and our attention, all designed to get us out of the will of God all designed to get us frustrated and upset. But even as these moments happen, we are called to serve in many different ways. Whether it's within this church body, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's with our kids or in our workplaces, there are many areas where God can use us. And each of us have strengths and weaknesses to where some forms of ministry may be a better fit for sure. But if somebody hasn't told you today, you are somebody. You know, one of the things that stuck with me that Steve mentioned last week, just talking about his kids and how sometimes they might not go to church for whatever reason. One one outlook of that is when you don't go to church, How does that impact those that are at church that need to see you, that need to speak to you, that you can be a minister to, that you can serve? You know, as Hebrews tells us, we shouldn't give up on meeting together as a body. 
said we should look forward to this fellowship time, to where we get to be the body and serve one another. I'm going to close with a quote from Senator Tim Scott. He says, I am an ordinary guy serving an extraordinary God. What a good outlook it is to have as we consider whom we will serve. Let us pray. Father, as we continue to dive into your word, Lord, we know a lot of the truths. We've studied your word. We've poured in, into it. We know those areas that we just like to avoid because of what it's telling us to do. Lord, we've created our own barriers many times. Foreign gods or idols that are still in our lives that show who's truly sitting on our thrones. So Lord, we repent of that today. Lord, even if I'm projecting that this morning, I know that's true in all of our lives at some point in time. So help us to focus on the day that you have given us as it is still called today to worship you, to praise you, and to serve you. Allow your spirit to be working in our lives to where we can hear what you're asking us to do. Give us the abilities and the strength to respond and to obey for the purposes of building up your church and glorifying your name. Lord, it is not our own vanity. It is not about us. It's all about you. So I, I thank you and I praise you for those opportunities that you're going to give us this week. I pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.